Well, happy Thanksgiving. Of course, you know, you're often encouraged on Thanksgiving to have this attitude of gratitude, you know, like being thankful. And that's important because even in the scriptures, it describes the person who is turned away from God as a person who is not thankful. In Romans 1.21, it says, you know, in this chapter about, you know, the depravity of humanity, he just talks about how people have just wandered away from God. And, and, and he says in Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. You know, the essence of depravity is, is, is self-sufficiency and an unwillingness to acknowledge how God has looked after you. And that's not the case that we find in the book of Philippians. But he would not suggest to you that you should have an attitude of gratitude. That is not what the book of Philippians says. No, no, actually, he suggests to you that you should have the attitude of Christ Jesus. That you should take on the mindset of Jesus Christ. And, and that mindset will affect your relationships with others. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, we walk into hallowed ground, um, sacred ground. We're talking about our Lord here. Um, I put a tie on because this is, this, is this is a formal and, and a sacred moment that, that deserves even my best effort, but it will be feeble because I'm talking about things that are much greater than, than my words can even put into expression. And that's what Paul puts together here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, a snapshot of Jesus Christ, which will lead us, of course, in the end, to communion. Why are we thankful today? Well, fundamentally, it has to do with this main reason, Jesus Christ. We will have an attitude of gratitude, but that's secondary to having the mindset of Christ, which affects our relationships with others. And the communion meal was not intended to be a private affair, you just doing communion on your own. It was intended to be the body gathered together, looking at each other, loving each other, accepting one another, valuing each other, honoring each other. The church, it was a reminder to the, to the early church, yes, our Savior died. Our Savior rose again. Yes, he's coming back. Yes, yes, life is hard, but we know and we're thankful. The Greek word eucharisto, to give thanks, is the word that the church took on as the, the meaning of communion. The Eucharist, it is a Thanksgiving meal. So today we will celebrate Thanksgiving in the most appropriate way that a church could, with communion. But the attitude that Paul recommends to us in Philippians 2 is not attitude of gratitude. It is the very mindset of Jesus Christ himself. Now understand, the, the scripture presents life like the, 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 the reality of, of humanity is that we're in this rowboat and we're rowing. But the problem is that we're trying to get from A to B, and we're rowing. But the problem is that this old wooden rowboat is leaking. And so in order to progress, we have to stop rowing every once in a while, get the bail bucket, and just and start bailing. But the moment we stop bailing, we, start move, we stop moving. And then so we have to bail, 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 row, 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 bail, 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 row, 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 bail, bail, bail. And, and it's like we just cannot seem to make any progress in life on our own. The harder we row, the more water comes into the boat. The quicker we bail, the, 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 you know, we stop moving forward. And this is 
the essence of religion. Roll faster, bail harder. And the faster you roll, the harder you bail, you still keep sinking deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, I, I grew up on the, you know, like just half a kilometer from the mudflats of, of Salmon Arm. And so as a kid, I would go down and wander around there. And sometimes you would find these old wooden rowboats that had sort of blown in there and they were stuck in the mud and, they, you know, they'd kind of, you know, and just imagine trying to get that thing on the water and row it and, and you know, to save yourself. Futile. And God knew it was futile. And that's why he did what he did and what we will see in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. It, in these tiny little section of verses, the Apostle Paul says, here is the scope of eternity. Eternity past to eternity future. Right in a hymn of the early church, which he, which he puts in, in, into word, into form here. And just as a reminder, here is the attitude you should have. Verse 5, you see that? You should have the same attitude toward one another that Jesus had. Now, the, the verses before, he's talking about how you should be concerned not only of your own interests, but the interests of others. You should have the same, you know, you, you should think others more important than yourself. He says, have the same attitude, same perspective, same approach that Jesus had. Now, this is going to be a challenge. Because as he paints this picture, you're like, who really has that kind of attitude? But he seems to think that you and I are capable of this. That this is an actual possibility. And then he begins to paint the landscape of eternity past to eternity future in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11. He says in verse 6, Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, he says, you, you know the earthly Christ. But the truth is, in eternity past, he was the very essence of God. He was God. He is God. But in his descent into our rowboat, he willingly lets go of certain realities that he knew to be true about himself. He did not regard Equality with God is something to be grasped. This has been debated by theologians, and we're not going to go there. If you want to come Wednesday night, we can talk about canonic realities, etc., etc. But here's the reality. He's the form of God. He is the same essence of God. He, uh, he's outward appearance, shape, that which is perceived by the, by the senses. He is the manifestation of God. Uh, it corresponds with reality. He was truly God, that which truly characterizes a given reality. I wanna, I'm going to use my notes a little bit today because I, I want to be careful because all sorts of heresies spawned out of this passage. So I'm just trying to be, be really true to the character of Christ and the, and the truth of God's word here. He was 100% God. And that idea about grasping, right? Some people think it's like Jesus was like holding on to divinity and it's like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll let go, you know, oh, well, you know, sorry, you know, and, and, or, or like, you know, he's like, I need to maintain power and control. It's like that idea of grasping. That's not what's going on here. Um, he chooses not to use his prerogative and his position for his own glory at this moment. He, he lays that aside. 
He reckoned his equality with God not a matter of getting, but of giving. He did not. His nature is characterized not by selfish grabbing, but by open-handed giving. I love the way that particular commentator writes that. So Jesus, who has the full right to just say, no, I'm God, I'm the supreme son of God, I'm the eternal son of God, I've got this exalted position, I'm sitting at the right hand of my Father, the Holy Spirit, we rule the whole universe. He says, you know what? I'm willing to give that up in order to accomplish this one essential thing that will help all those created in our image. And the question is, sometimes people get weird ideas about God and they don't really read the scriptures and so they fill in the blanks on their own, but the scripture presents God in this self-giving manner. He doesn't hold on to what, what was rightfully his, but he lets it go. Why? Because he has you and I in mind. It says in verse seven that he emptied himself. And of course, people get caught up on this idea of emptying, but this is essentially the, the incarnation. He stripped himself of the insignia of majesty, as one commentator would say. Um, but it's a, it's a metaphor, pure and simple. He emptied himself, and how did he empty himself? By taking on the form of a slave. Now remember, we're in Philippi, a Roman colony. Slaves had a, a role in the Roman Empire, but a very diminished role. No rights, no privileges. Property of someone else. And it says Jesus took on this one. Now there was another word called servant, diakonos. He could have used that word, which is a little, which is above a slave. But no, he takes, takes the lowest word possible and he says, this is what Jesus did. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. He took on the form of a slave and he has the appearance of other men. He shares in human nature. And he's, he's walking carefully. Why? Because it says, if you looked at him, you'd say, that's a man. But he's not the same kind of man or woman like you and I in, in humanity in that he did not possess a sinful nature. But by every outward appearance, he was the exact the same as us. He was fully human, but without sinful nature. He is the one person rowing a boat without leaks in the world. He is the one guy that doesn't have to bail. Why? Because his boat ain't sinking. He's perfect. But he's human. 100% human. Can you imagine? Now, you've you got to think about that. The most opulent, imaginative scene you can think of, right? The glory of heaven. I mean splendor and light and majesty, the absence of sin and darkness. There's nothing dirty, nothing impure, nothing unclean. It's just glorious splendor. And the Son of God takes that off and becomes a slave. He embodies this in John 13, right? End of the, end of the communion supper with his disciples, the first one. He gets up, puts on a towel, and starts washing their feet. Guys, do you get this? Do you get what I'm doing, guys? No, not really. Now we read it, we're like, oh, we get what you're doing. You are practically demonstrating to us your whole life purpose. At the end of the communion supper, you're, you're taking that lowest point and you're washing stinky, dirty disciples' feet and you're saying, yes, this is how I love you. And this is just a small picture about everything I'm about to do for you. 
And so when he says you should have the same attitude of Christ, it's this lowering attitude where you, where you take the lowest place, where you put others ahead of yourself and think about their needs and how you could care for them. And he shared in human nature. And it says in verse 8 there, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, this idea of, of humility is, is, is the word that was used earlier. Uh, every, each of you should, in humility, verse 3, be moved to treat one another as more important yourself. But here's, this, here's Christ humbling himself. He's lowering himself. And that word himself is, is an emphatic position. Himself. He's doing this. He's choosing to do this. He's not being forced to do this. He's not, you know, it's not like Joseph who got sold into slavery and, you know, was, you know, oh, well, you, know, you know, the Father and the Holy Spirit somehow connived against the Son. No, no. He willingly comes and offers himself, empties himself, incarnation, humanity. And he becomes obedient to the point of death. He understands that as he comes here as, as a slave, that this humbling will lead to death. And he obediently follows the plan that, that the Godhead made in eternity past. This is the way we're going to save this sinful group of people. This is how we're going to help them because they can never row to their own safety. Bail harder. Roll faster. It doesn't work. Many of you have tried it. My grandparents tried it. People all over the world are trying it. They're rowing, they're bailing, they're rowing, they're bailing. Jesus gets into his rowboat. And he's rowing by us. How come there's no leaks in your boat? Because I'm perfect. But he's willing to go to this place for you and me. Now, I, want, I was thinking about this, right? Like, your loved ones. I mean, I mean if, if they're in difficulty, I mean, how far would you go to help them? I mean, most of you would, I think, even be willing to, to, to offer yourself for your children or your wife or whatever, like your, your closest friends. And then, and then Jesus says, in, or Paul says in Romans 6, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, we're not willing to walk into the penitentiary and the worst and most vilest criminals and say, yeah, I'll take his place. I mean, Few of us are willing to do this, but Jesus comes to this earth and watches all these people pathetically trying to row their own leaky boats to safety, and he's just rowing by, and he's like, yeah, I'm here to save you. And then he points that, that right in the middle of, the, of, this, of this poem is this, even death on a cross. Now, we love crosses. They're jewelry. They're, you know, we put them on our hats, our belt buckles, you know, on the bumper stickers, but to the Romans in Philippi and in Rome, the cross was like a swear word. It was the vilest, most offensive way to die in the first century. I mean, the Romans were trying to figure out, how can we deter criminal activity? Let's find the worst possible way to kill someone and then make that the capital form of capital punishment for the worst offenders. It'll be a deterrent to anyone that seeks to try to, to over, you know, push against the Roman Empire. And so they, they experimented, and, and this ended up being the most vile cruelest, humiliating, agonizing way to die. People in polite, you know, dignified conversation did not talk about the cross. That's disgusting. It's horrific. 
it, it, it was almost like a swear word. It's like even death on the cross. You Roman Philippians, you know what I'm talking about here. He obediently went to death, but the worst form of death. Humiliating, shameful, publicly known death. And why does he do this? Because he is going to effect salvation to everyone who by faith will receive that offer. Even death on a cross. And that was his whole point of his life. He comes in the form of, of a baby. He lives his life. He does a wonderful ministry for three years and it ends right here, the worst possible ending in human terms. But in divine terms, it's the best possible ending. Because on this cross, Jesus himself takes upon himself the full penalty for sin once and for all. For anyone who will believe. And in doing so, he makes room in his boat for anyone who wants to get out of their leaky boat and crawl into his safe boat and get delivered to the shore. And all you have to do is get out of your boat and get into his boat. It seems real simple, but people seem to insist on rowing themselves, bailing themselves. Row harder, bail harder, row faster, bail harder. You know, and I can do it, I can do it. And Jesus is like, I've done it. Here it is, get in. Now my boat has a little placard on the side, right? And it tells you, you know, eight passengers, you know, 1,200 pounds, whatever it is, right? And that's, but Jesus' boat doesn't have one of those. Guess what? Unlimited occupancy. It never fills up. There's always room in Jesus' boat. Just jump in with me. Believe in me. Trust in me. And I'll get you safely home. I got this, Jesus. I got this. You know, the water's, you know, the, the deep, the more water in the boat, the slower it goes. You know that. You guys have canoed. You know, if you tip that thing over, you try to canoe. You know, it just doesn't work, right? And we get more water, more water, more bailing. You know, nothing is working. Jesus is just like, come on, jump in. Because he made that possible because he humbled himself, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then look what God does for him. Verses 9. To 11. And as a result, God exalted him. The word actually means like super exalted, like up, you know, abundantly exalted him, super abundantly exalted. I mean, it's like, woo, they just, they just elevated him to the top of the pyramid. The lowest of low becomes the highest of high. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is, this is a recognition of, of, of rightful authority, prominence, and majesty. It is a reality that, that, that some bow now, some bow later. Some acknowledge as their boat is going down. Yes, you are Lord. And they get into the safe boat. Others drown. And later on in life, they're resurrected for judgment. And it's like, yes, you are Lord, but I didn't receive it. And it says in verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. The attitude of Christ is this loving God that takes the penalty for us so that we don't have to sink our own ship, but that we can get in and go safely home with him. And that his name will be glorified forever and ever and eternity, and ultimately God is glorified through Christ forever and ever. Amen. I have not done this passage justice. Because I don't think we really understand the nature of God. Because if we did, it would affect our behavior. Because this is what is the whole nature of Christ is intended to provide, create behavioral change and attitudinal change in you and me so that we treat each other differently. We love the life saving Jesus. And I do. Man, my boat was sinking fast. My family's boat was sinking fast. I'm so glad my parents got into this boat and then helped me to get into this boat. But it's more than that. Now that I'm in the boat, she's like, guess what? We get along in this boat, people. You're in my boat and my boat and my rules. My rules are treat each other highly. Think, everyone, think of others' interests. Have this my attitude towards each other. It's transformative. Think about how much God loves you. I mean, he sends his son into a, you know, a world full of leaky boats. Dirty, vile, impure. He sees the worst of the worst of humanity. He experiences the worst of worst of humanity on the cross. Hatred, anger, antagonism. And what did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that Jesus invites us today. One, to, you know, thanksgiving and praise to worship his name, but he says, you know, you can have this attitude towards each other. Where you're willing to go so low to help lift up others. I mean, in our world, like the, the path up is not the humble path. I asked my class on Wednesday night, I'm like, do any of you in any of your work seminars, do they talk about humility being a key to success in the work environment? No, no, don't be humble. Promote yourself, elevate yourself, help yourself. Every once in a while, do something, you know, a little bit, you know, do-gooder for someone else, you know, you know at, the, at the local level, you know, volunteer at something, blah, blah, blah. But, but ultimately, you got to work yourself ahead. Jesus works himself down in the lowest possible way, even death on a cross. And so we're celebrating that today. We're remembering what Christ did for us on the cross, but it's more than that. Because it's an act of worship for us to come and take bread and, and cup and to celebrate that together, but it's also a reminder, the supreme example. What does it mean to live out the life of Christ? It means to live for others. To live in community and in harmony and in unity. And Jesus invites us to say, you know what? We're in my boat now. My boat, my rules, my blessings. Unity, harmony. When you're rowing and bailing, there's no unity, there's no harmony. You're just trying to get, oh, I can do it, I can do it. You can't do it. Jesus like, get in. You get in, and he's like, okay, now let's move together. And the early church would gather, and they would eat these meals together, and they would just remember, yes, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And life was hard for them. 
persecution, death, um, unemployment, heart, you know, social ostracization. I mean, every, everything that you can imagine that could happen to them did happen to them, but they would gather together like, oh yes, we're going to lower ourselves. We're, we're going we're to think highly of each other. We're going we're gonna to stick together. Why? Because of what Christ did for us. He didn't die so that we could fight each other, argue and complain and, and insist on being right. He died so that we could become a new family together. In fact, we get into his boat, and guess what? He, he has an oar for you. It's like one of those big kind of ships where we're all rowing together. Okay, row! And we're rowing in cadence with Jesus' words. Why? Because that's what he wants us to do. To experience unity together. So that's what we're doing. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've confessed your sins, you know that today you, you, you're in a good relationship. You, you, you got, if you have stuff from last week, last month, last year you haven't dealt with, you, you need to let this go. Don't, don't bother coming. That's fine. We're not judging anyone here. This is a celebration of forgiveness of righteousness, and of unity. If you believe in this, if you're riding in his boat, come and partake with us. If you haven't yet made that decision, I'm encouraging you, maybe you guys watch it online. You're rowing and you're bailing and, and your boat just keeps going slower and slower. And Jesus is like, come into my boat. And today I invite you, get out of your Waliki rowboat and enter into the boat of Christ. By faith, believe what he did for you. He died and rose again so that you could have life, so you could safely get to the shoreline. And you only get there with Jesus. Would you believe in him today? Church family, we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to invite the, uh, the team forward, and they're going to they're um, play some music, I think, while we're coming. If you're able to, I invite you to come up here and... Uh, and, and grab the bread and, and the cup. If you're gluten-free, there is a gluten-free option here, but Jill and Tammy will be here with the bread. They'll give you a little piece. If you need gluten-free, I will give you that here, but I'll grab your cup, and then you can return. So we'll come up the sides. No, sorry, we'll come up the middle, and then, and then we'll, we'll go down the sides. Uh, that's what we'll do this time around. Yeah, so come up. No, sorry, we'll go the other way. Uh, sides to the middle, okay? Sides to the I'm trying to think of the easiest way to make the flow. If you can't get up, that's fine. If you don't want to get up, you're like, I'm not comfortable. For whatever reason, Henry is floating around. So just, just make a motion to him. He'll come and he'll serve you the bread and the cup where you're seated. You don't have to come up. That's not essential. But if, if you would like to, if you're able to, I invite you to. Christ left the eternal throne for us. And this little walk is just a reminder for us. Um, and it may be humbling, but that's okay because Christ humbled himself for us. He took on the form of a servant. And so um, as we prepare for communion, I just invite, we're going to pray, and then, uh, then I'll, we'll just open it up for you to come and, and receive communion. Would you, would you pray with me as we uh, prepare to take communion this morning? Thank you, Lord, for what you did for us in Christ Jesus. We come to the communion table this morning and pray that you would give us the mindset of Christ who died for us, who took our penalty upon himself so that we could be free, who helped us out of our leaky rowboats and brought us into his watertight ship and he's taking us home. And may the attitude of Christ pervade this celebration of his death. As we gather today, may he receive all the glory and honor. We lift high the name of Jesus Christ, the name above every other 
We confess it. We acknowledge it. We kneel before him in humble adoration and praise. There is no one like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so be glorified as we celebrate communion together. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Just come receive, hold on, and then we'll partake together at the end. Close our service in prayer. We really hope and pray that you have a great Thanksgiving. You can celebrate with family and friends, whatever you're doing. And now may the mind of Christ be exemplified in your life today and this week and as we go from here. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Make us a truly thankful people. And at the, the heart of that is a love for Christ. So Christ be magnified in all the gatherings that we have here and those that aren't here. Lord, uh, bless your church family. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we proclaim that you alone are Lord. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.